Hey, sports fans, it's Chris Howard, former Jacksonville Jaguar running back and 1997 National Championship running back from the University of Michigan. Get plugged in with me every week as I'll be breaking down the biggest topics in the world of sports and entertainment. Join me and my special guests for some honest conversations about sports and life when the cameras are no longer flashing. I'll also be breaking down weekly matchups for NFL and college football games. Be in the know, listen to, and follow Plugged In with Chris Howard now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, welcome to CarCast. This week we're going to bring back our good friend Alistair Weaver from Edmunds.com. But before we get started, here's Geico. Do you own, do you rent your home? Sure you do. And it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling your policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you have so much to do already around your home. Why not make it easy? Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see just how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Welcome to CarCast. I'm Matt, the moderator, DeAndre, here with Bill Goldberg. Good morning, sir. How are you? Uh, I'm good, man. <laughs> yeah, you're good. <laughs> you would know where. Yeah, <laughs> you're good. Um, uh, yeah, check out Bill's uh, Instagram, um, and you can see his uh, his pet bird sitting on his head. <laughs> it's a long story, in, but... <laughs> in a short summarization, we found this bird at a baseball game. It fell out of the nest as a baby. Uh, we brought it back uh, and uh, nursed it back to health two days ago, I, I guess about a month after we found it. We let it go. And I'll be damned if I wasn't walking in the kitchen this morning and I hear this freaking bird and I walk outside and he lands on my head. So <laughs> it's a pretty cool story, man. I pauses mean, for a photo. A- it's like, yeah, he doesn't want to leave. We got the big garage going on. It's got lots of friends and animals there, and mom's been feeding yeah, them. And brought, uh, <laughs> brought him a whole thing of new water and you know meal worms. And yeah, he had a nice breakfast and shit on my hand, and then took off again. Yeah, <laughs> took it's, off again. It's, he'll be back when he gets hungry. He'll oh be yeah, back. yeah, he'll be back. <laughs> I guarantee you, he'll be back. Um. Uh, anyway. So last we uh, we're we're gonna have Alistair come on. By the way, Alistair Weaver from Edmunds.com. Uh, excited about getting into some things with him. I know he's been driving some pretty interesting things. Spent some more time with the Rivian, I believe, and uh, uh, a number of things. So we're gonna get into that. But last time we spoke, you sent the new TRX out to get the uh, the Expel PPF and get the ceramic coating and. Was that right? Not yet. Not yet. No, I, I, I sent it out to get the lights, the rigid lights put on, get put the Nitto 37s on, put mm-hmm. the HRE new truck wheels on, and then uh, I drive to another baseball tournament in it this weekend. And then Monday we drop it off to expel for all the PPF treatment and the, the wrap and ceramic coating and all that kind of stuff that I did on the first one. But I, I got to tell you, man, I just I just love the truck. Are you? Are you, and I'm going to keep this one regular gas because yeah, that's yes, what we were talking about. It's it's funny because we got into that about how you don't want to use the E85. You've got the other trucks set up for it, but it is a kind of a pain in the ass to to find the 85 station. Yes. And here we are a week later, and Dodge is teasing uh, a, another sort of halo car, uh, a Dodge Challenger that's possibly. 
E85 capable and knocking on the door of 900 horsepower, eight, I don't know, 885 or 875, wherever it's going to end up being, we're not quite sure yet. But we kind of we're, we're we kind of got this teaser a little while ago, um, you know, whatever, six months ago, uh, after you guys were wrapping the um, the uh, donut maker stuff, there were some teasers and stuff came in from Dodge and the boss, Tim Kaniska, saying, you know, hey, before we start going to EV muscle cars, right, or some sort of hybrid muscle car, we're going we're gonna to go out on a bang, and we're not quite sure what that means yet. And he sort of alluded to some some car products, pop, possibly some aftermarket products, something maybe we can see at SEMA uh, later this year through Mopar. We weren't quite sure, but now we're starting to get a little bit of an idea of what he might have meant. <laughs> so, so. Yes, the only I – can, I can honestly say the only negative that I have against Dodge is that those fuckers – Take my money, and then <laughs> and, and, and then announce something new that yeah. I didn't know about. Yeah, so, yeah that's all. I mean, look, it's it's it'd be nice to get the inside track, but uh, we if you've been watching some of the car auctions and bring a trailer and uh, what's going on <laughs> in the aftermarket world uh, or in the uh, second owner world, I guess you could say. You know, TRXs, Challengers, Demons, you know, Red Eyes, um, on some level, Shelby GT350s, GT350Rs, some some GT500s, Track Packs, uh, you know, they're all doing pretty well with, you know, with a few miles on them. Uh, you know, the, yep. those cars are, are pretty desirable, um, arguably still hard to get. I, I haven't shopped for one in a while, so I can't really say, but... Uh, you know, aside from that, like aftermarkets, where to where to go is because you can't necessarily get them new. So they're, you know, if something catches your fancy, it could be sell an existing car, do well on it, do fair on it, and uh, and get into something new. I mean, because you've got, you know, you've got let's just say the full catalog of products going on over there. And although we haven't really, we've mostly focused on the modern cars because that's the ones you're driving and you're playing around with right now, but you've got the vintage car collection. We just haven't dug into it too much because everything's sort of in storage and until the garage is done, but you know, getting into, into something new isn't, isn't the word, by the way, who knows? There's a, could be a six month waiting list on the, on a new car or something. So, you know, I guess, uh, Guess we'll and, say. and and realistic and realistically, we don't, we don't know exactly what it is. But if it's an iter- another iteration of the Challenger, right? Yeah, we had this conversation about Superstock a while ago, and I haven't seen many of those right. at auction by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so th- I guess the question is: is that how many times can they reintroduce the Challenger and have it be palatable? You know, because right. It's not something to where you can't change a, a, a PCM, right? Or you can get an upgrade mm-hmm. and you can mm-hmm. have an existing chassis perform just like whatever they're coming out with. So right, and they're not going to interesting. They're not going to redesign the car now for for the gas engine, right? And there's only so much they can do before they'd have to, you know, re crash test and things like that. So. They're just going to keep throwing horsepower at it, and and that seems to be selling well, and it gets them a lot of press coverage. So, go out with a bang and throw some horsepower at it. 
Absolutely. Sound? Hey, I'm, I'm not complaining by any stretch of imagination. I don't uh, know anybody else in the whole world it is. But um, Speaking man. of horsepower, uh, it took me a minute, but I, I got around to uh, reading through the Mustang Hub magazine. If you guys aren't familiar, Mustang Hub is a print magazine for the Mustang community, both old and new cars. And I... I, I subscribe to it. I think it's quarterly. I, I think they only do four issues a year. Um, uh, and it's a really nice book. You know, good quality, great photos, good print quality. Uh, and I had the subscription. Then something with the with the subscription, um, uh, some magazines couldn't – I don't know. They weren't getting in and then I called them up and they, they settled it up. Uh, we're going to bring Alistair in in, uh, in just a second. But I got around to reading the article about your lawman Mustang. Uh, you know, we've been talking yeah. about it for a while. Now seeing a bunch of the photos that, that Marcus Angel has put together in the magazine and reading the story about it and the process of restoring it. Uh, just a, a great article, a great story about a very interesting car, uh, well done restoration. And I know we've been talking about the car for a little while and, you know, once you get it out of storage and put it in a new garage, maybe we can spend a little time, you know, fire it up and, and, uh, get some more photos of it and have you maybe just walk around. I know you're, you're, you got plans for the YouTube channel, uh, uh, you know, maybe you could, Go through it a little bit more, but let me tell you, it's a it's a very very cool car. It's a great article. If you guys are interested in that Lawman Mustang, you should try to find uh, an issue of Mustang Hub, or maybe they have the article online. I'm not quite sure. I've got the actual print book. I like the actual print <laughs> book. Yeah, I got to get one of those. And quite obviously, so uh, talk to your people and see if you can get, grab another one. Yeah, well, I, that shouldn't be a that shouldn't be a problem. Um, it was it was well done, and yeah, it was just kind of like I didn't know when the issue was going to come out or what it was going to entail, and then I finally got it, and uh, I was like, oh, this is the Lawman article that we were talking about for like a year ago, <laughs> and, uh, and and here it is that. Is just a cool car. Just the amount of attention and detail that went into the restoration of that car, the story of its iterations of it <clears throat> is uh, is interesting. So we'll spend some more time on that. Maybe loop back in with uh, with Marcus as well. Now that sort of the dust has settled on on this uh, on this project because we haven't had a chance to to overview it with him and, and sort of now he. Now that it's done and it's delivered, he can kind of go through the you know what was the headache and what was the the easy stuff <laughs> yes. and kind of where he go, you know because yeah. I know he's had uh, uh, you know look big big project for sure big project for sure but well worth it done well done right uh, and I would have no other person do that car on the planet. yeah I, I, I really would I this is one of those projects where it's just like you're just happy with it like it was the right guy he did the right job uh you know going through and so well documented the details and the restoration you know we yeah. get cars back we send out to a bunch of different vendors and you know and by the way somebody can have a big shop and a good reputation but they've got 30 employees working there or something and 
And there's a little bit of a turnover and some of the people are young and they're just uh, trying to learn. And the boss over there who built the reputation isn't necessarily the guy who can give every car the attention it deserves. And I'm not naming names, but we've run into this issue a few times and our guy Sean at the shop is over there going – you know, we've got to make some changes. We're not too real happy with this. I've got to redo a few things, and this is broken, that's broken, and uh, this is not that case. This is one of those home run, you know, grand slam home runs going, it took a little while, but that was to be expected. Expectations were set correctly and uh, just put together a cool car. Would you agree? Let's let's just say that thankfully you get what you pay for. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine that was inexpensive. All right, let's bring uh, let's bring Alistair in. Let's. Uh, <laughs> he shakes his head. <laughs> uh, there he is. Hey, Alistair, how are you? Good morning, gents. I'm not too bad, thank you. Uh, bad. Uh, oh, hang on, hang on. That's that's better. That should be working now. Okay, there you go. Yeah, are you uh, you're in the office today? I'm in the office. Yeah, radical. Hey. Yeah, I don't. It's like it's like a ghost town. It's we, we've like cut the office in two, but there's literally typical day. There's probably like twenty people here. Yeah, okay. It's really depressing. <laughs> well, I mean, you've been working from home and working from around the world, so there's a little bit of traveling. You got to go back to the office at some point. Yeah, I kind of like it. I like the human interaction. Are we live, by the way, or are we just chatting? No, we're we're recording. We're on the show. You're on the show. <laughs> We're doing it. We already started. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> oh, I see. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> there, there uh, before I say anything, before anything, it's too controversial. Very hard. Yeah. Uh, you can always cut it out. Wait, did Alistair say all of his people It's always good to check the mic is live, isn't it? Yeah, right? I think Alistair said all of his people were lazy and he wished they were back in the office. No, no, we're all good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're all, Every, we're all good. Everyone is working super hard. Everybody's working super hard. Uh, I, I know you've got uh, a bunch to go over. Um, let me just uh, preface this by saying, uh, Bill, I know you've got a – We are live, right? We are live. Bill's got a very busy schedule. He's got a documentary, a, a wrestling documentary coming out, the CBD supplements coming out. Um, uh, we've got our Bravago stuff coming out, and I know you've got a bunch of press. So at any point – just uh, let us know if you need to go off to the next thing, because I know you've got uh, a press schedule today. Uh, Thank but, you, sir. But uh, that being said, um, yeah, listen, uh, Alistair, it's, it's, it feels like it's been a minute. You've been all over the place, um, uh, driving cars, testing stuff. Uh, I know there's been a couple things that uh, we're particularly interested in. Um, let's start off with Rivian, because you, you – you had high marks for Rivian, but now you've had more time to drive the vehicle. Have you been just in the pickup truck? That Did you guys get delivery of your truck, or are you talking about also driving the SUV recently? Yeah, well, sort of both. Uh, our, our pickup truck arrived probably about a month ago now, um, but we've also been out to New York. Not me personally, but a member of the team went out to New York to drive the um, R1S, which is the, the three-row. Uh, so it's basically a truck with a, the bed cut off and then turned into an SUV. So, yeah, I mean, our truck, our trucks have arrived. I think we've already done like 3,000 miles, spent a couple of weeks in it. And, you know, it's still a really cool thing. And the only challenge with it, the challenges are more about infrastructure. We talked about this before than, than the truck itself, because 
This thing has got a colossal battery. I think it's like over 130 kilowatts. And this thing is half as efficient in our testing as a Tesla Model 3. So think of it as kind of like a Dodge Hellcat in EV world. Yeah, which, <laughs> right. As, as long as you're willing to act, sorry, sorry, Bill. Uh, as long as you're willing to accept the um, the electricity cost, that in theory is okay. The reality is, though, if you want to charge it, you know, we talk about these 50 kilowatt hour charges as being fast charge. And if you Google it on your phone, it says fast charger. If you plug the Rivian into a into a 50 kilowatt fast charger, you're going to be sitting there for a minimum of two hours. Let's say you're at like 20 percent charge and you want to get to 70, 80 percent. It's a couple of hours because they're 50 kilowatts an hour. The battery is 130 kilowatts. And of course, it, it slows down as it gets to the end of its charge. So that becomes the big problem. And then it ran all the way down just a few miles left. I pulled into the office. At the office, we've got like a almost like a typical domestic charger, what we call level two. Plug that in 19 hours to get from 3% to 70%, not even to 100. So it's like... A normal household charger doesn't really cut it. I mean, maybe if you keep topping it up every night. So it's like every time you stop in your garage, you've got to plug this thing in. Yeah, assuming you're okay. in your garage, Bill's garage, maybe not mine. <laughs> um, and so that that's the, one of like the big challenges about it. The other problem with it is actually it's not that. You realize like it's not actually that big. Like I put the kids in the back seat. My three year old was complaining about lack of legroom, <laughs> and then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. And then the rear-facing baby seat for the four-month-old, I couldn't then get into the front passenger seat. So I wanted to do some work, and my wife was going to drive, and I was like, I can't even sit in here. <laughs> so so it's, there's more room in a Model 3. So over, I mean, it's still a cool thing, and I like it a lot. Um, but the biggest problem is the infrastructure. It's not even the product. It's the fact that, you know, there just aren't enough fast charge. The nearest 350-kilowatt charger to my home is is like 20 minutes away, 30 minutes away. And I live in the absolute epicenter of EV land in South Bay of Los Angeles. Like, everybody has an EV. And, you know, that's why Tesla, you know, remains so, you know, so potent in this market because they've got their own infrastructure. And the rest of us, you know, you, you really have got to have 150 kilowatts or more to call it a fast charger. So we're doing a whole bunch of work on it and there's more to come. But outside of really that, it's a cool truck and it gets so much attention. Yeah. It's, it's literally like, I mean, I, I think... I remember driving the original smart car, the little two-seater, and that got tons of attention. And obviously, if you like something super exotic, but yeah, everybody wants to stop and talk about it. So what, what kind of – have you done your actual range test? You have like an estimate, I'm sure, but have you done your Edmunds range test on it yet? Yeah, we have, and I'm just going to look it up as we, as, as we talk. So there's two, things in the, there's two things in the range test. Right? One is how far does it go? So at the moment, our, our longest vehicle, and this, if people haven't heard this before, basically we take every single EV we get in around a predetermined loop around Southern California, so driving it consistently. And we even now have little gadgets on board which sort of talk to you as you drive so that you're not using too much throttle. So we're getting a consistent result across the board. Um, and often this can take like 12, 15 hours of driving. I mean, the Lucid is the range leader at the moment, 505 miles uh, I'm just digging out the uh, the Rivian as we speak. So the Rivian, the EPA was uh, 314. We did 317 miles, which is a great result. Yeah. But of course, that's all determined by the size of the battery. And so then, if you look at the, um, if you then go down to the efficiency chart, this is at Edmunds.com/slash/range, uh, and you flip the, you flip and look at it on the on the efficiency. 
we we manage 46.9 kilowatt hours per 100 miles so this is kind of like an mpg equivalency so that was 46.9 to give you some context something like a model 3 uh long range which i think is still like the biggest selling uh biggest selling ev standard range plus sorry not long range standard range plus that's 23 kilowatt hours so basically half and then if you go down to mini it's like 22 so it's it's massive. I mean, it's still a truck, right? But it is still, you know, guzzling electricity. Right. And of so, course, it weighs 7,200 pounds and all the rest of it. The, the issue isn't really the range, right? The range is on par with what we're doing with EVs right now. It's just when you need to charge that battery up, you know, to to get 50 miles of range on that battery compared to many of the other EVs, in particular like the Tesla like you're talking about, it just requires a lot more charging time and a lot more power need to be double, generated. Yeah. yeah, basically double. So, yeah, infrastructure is a thing. But <clears throat> as you're saying, with Rivian, it's a cool truck. It seems like it's fun. I'm seeing them all over the place. They look cool. But it – I don't know, for lack of better term, still a bit of a novelty item, um, you know, in the way that, you know, a, a high-end luxury car or exotic car or something or, or even, you know, crazy muscle car would be. Actually, you're, you're probably pretty spot on on going on saying it's kind of the, the you know, the, the hellcat of, of EV trucks, right? Because it's kind of a novelty item and it's quick and it gets a lot of attention and and you know maybe it's not your daily driver. Maybe you've got something else. Uh, and yeah, your Hellcat because you you know it's tough to keep your foot off the off the gas. And when you're driving it and having fun, you're going to have to stop at a gas station more often than you would in you know in a normal sedan. And in this particular case, you're going to have to top off this battery more than you would probably other EVs that are out there. If you're if you're plugging your Tesla once or twice a week at home, this is, you're going to want to maybe top it off every night or every other night, right? All, all the time. Yeah, every time, <laughs> every time you stop. Every, and and you obviously, time. bear in mind, if you drive it, be nice. if you drive it like a helicopter. Analysis on the full charge of one of those Rivians. Sorry, Bill, I missed that. It would nice to be, a, it, it would be very nice to have a, like a cost analysis on what it would take to charge, fully charge from zero, that uh, Rivian. And yeah, I mean, that's for, uh, we, we could calculate that pretty pretty quickly, Bill, because it obviously depends where you live. Like where you are in Texas is probably cheaper than yeah. than where we are in California, and I are in California. So, yeah, I mean, basically, if you think about 100, what is it, 130, 140 kilowatt hour battery pack, so it's whatever you're paying per kilowatt hour, it's yep. gonna it's gonna be basically the cost, but yeah. you know it's not insignificant. I mean, it's not it's not as expensive as gas, uh, but you know it, it does it does mount up, and it's it's kind of like we think about. It. You don't think about the cost of charging your phone, but actually we are going to have to think about the cost of charging the the EVs, particularly if like the Rivian, it takes so much juice that you can't just charge it overnight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and and the other part, the other part, the best way to own a, an electric car right now is to have two of them if you have a Rivian, because you can drive the Rivian one day and then plug it in, yeah. and then drive the other one. Drive the <laughs> now you got to swap cars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it it's something you it's should like do. The early day. If you could buy them, if you could actually get them, but uh, that's that's a <laughs> yeah. Then there's that. 
I remember going to like the early Formula E races where they swap cars in the middle of the race and yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean that like like it's like it's like that. You have to have like a Rivian parked like, you know, hundred <laughs> you know, somewhere somewhere up the road and then you just swap <laughs> over. All right. So so the Rivian pickup truck, um I Look, we, we kind of knew it was kind of be like Ford Ranger size. There's going to be some limitations on on how much room and stuff you're going to have inside. But I, I don't – I think that's fine. I don't think it's too small. I don't think it's too big. Uh, I haven't been in it yet, but just seeing them on the road and being able to get up close to them, it seems like a, a good compromise of its off-road capability and the ability to drive it within a city without having to drive a massive truck. That being said – Yeah, I agree. It is still a pickup truck, so it competes with other trucks in that space. But when you get into the R1S, when you start getting into the SUV Rivian, how does that stack up against other SUVs in its class? Now, battery aside and how much energy it takes to suck up, but what about the driving of it? Like, What was the feedback from from your guy and your staff? Is it is it comfortable? Is it roomy? Is it, you know, does it drive well? I mean, like the actual functionality of it being an SUV. Yeah, I think it's basically a good three-row SUV with, you know, proper space for people. So it's kind of, think of it almost like a, a Yukon. So we're not talking about Chevy Suburban big, you know, it's not a bus. Uh, you know, it's more like a kind of, you know, uh, sort of Yukon sized, but it's a proper three row for three rows of adults with, you know, a bit of luggage space or reasonable luggage space behind. Um, and then the rest of it, you know, is the same performance. It's the same battery pack. It's the same, you know, motors and stuff as the, as the truck. So it's a good thing. And I know a couple of people local to me have started, you know, have, have put their name down for one. Cause again, it's a bit like the truck. It's not too big. Uh, you yeah. know, suburbs and stuff are huge, whereas actually a Yukon's actually quite manageable. So, you know, sort of Sequoia big, Yukon big, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, it's it's a good thing. And I think, you know, it's uh, whether they're prof- whether any of these cars at the price point around 80 grand, even with the price hike that they did, I don't see how either of them are profitable as a product at 80 grand when you look at how big the batteries are and what's gone into them. But yeah. I guess, you know, as with a lot of startups, you've got to find your mm-hmm. way into the market and go from there. Right. Well, so now there's the company issue, right? And and I look, I I don't want to pick on Rivian for having some issues with, you know, pricing things in, a, you know, incorrectly, uh, you know, having to lay off some people and having huge delays. It wouldn't be fair to pick on them if they were the only one, then it would be fair, but they're not the only one. Lucid has issues. Uh, Rivian has issues. Tesla's laying off people. They have issues. All of the big existing car companies are having issues, not just on on staffing and stuff and availability, but also on quality control. I mean, uh, we, we're seeing recalls and stuff already. Mustang Mach-E's bringing, coming back in for some issues. Uh, Ford Lightning, they've only delivered a handful and they're already – you know, uh, I don't know, maybe I don't know if they're fully recalling them or there's a thing that need they need to fix. But it it seems like cars were – before the big bailout years ago, cars were kind of okay. There was a lot of I, – I think it was the head of GM at the time – was like, hey, we can release 22 models of cars, and if five of them do well, that's enough profit. We'll be fine. 
And then there's big bailouts and like, well, we can't really do that anymore. We need to release 10 cars and have 10 of them be good. We can't even release 22 and get five right, right? So now we need good cars. And it seemed like they were – everything was just kind of turning out to be pretty good. But now <laughs> – I don't know if it's just supply chain issues or whatever, but the ball seems like it's kind of getting dropped on a lot of quality issues. It, it, what's your what's your thought on that? And it's not just coming for these new cars, but and, and I'm not just talking about going. Hey, BMW is going. Hey, you know, we'll sell you a BMW. We can't give you heat seaters or a radio that works because we don't have the chips for it. But but you can still buy a BMW. <laughs> W. Uh, I'm just talking about it seems like there's been some quality control issues almost across the board, like industry-wide. Yeah, I think there's – I mean the biggest thing, as you alluded to, is just supply issues, shortages, um, you know, which still maintains. And that's you know a function of the pandemic when all the, the shipping container issues and everything else that came with that – it's also things like the, um, the, you know, the awful war in in, in Ukraine has had, uh, had an impact. Then it just sort of, you know, and then obviously the economic condition, condition of the world are having started some sort of impact down the line. Interest rates are going up and how is that affecting supply and demand? So you've got a big supply problem that people can't build the cars. There's also concern about people, you know, are we heading into a recession and everything else? But, you know... It is a it is a basic reality, particularly in the EV world. People are struggling to you know to put these cars together. I was looking at the the GV GV60, the new Genesis EV, which is a tremendous car, by the way. You know, and there's zero local inventory where where I live. So inventory levels we don't expect. And Edmunds obviously does a lot of work on this. They're analysts and stuff, and we you know we're not expecting inventory to go back to a sensible level till till next year at the next year at the earliest. How does that impact on quality and stuff? I mean, I do think there's there's obviously a transition to EVs and a lot of that, you know, a lot of that sort of, even for the brands, there's a big start, sharp learning curve. But recalls are nothing new. Uh, maybe they get a bit more attention because it's an EV. I think on the startups, you know, that's a different story because building a car company from scratch and particularly building a car from scratch is a huge undertaking. Yeah. And, you know, we were we were very public with our criticism, some of the Lucid problems. Um, I think partly a result of our feedback and what we did, then actually Lucid recalled, well, all their vehicles had to be called, but they've also instituted a lot more QA into their system. And the vehicle that we were originally going to have as our part of our long-term fee, the vehicle that we were buying with our own money, we've ended up not getting that vehicle, but being supplied with a different vehicle, which was actually... Uh, a much newer build, and the rationale for that is they said we 're just not comfortable with what with the original vehicle, but we 're going to provide you with another one um, and hopefully that 's arriving in the next sort of week ten days so, I mean next time I come on, we can talk about that and how the quality has shifted from the early car that we drove to you know to one 's rolling off the production line now so I think there 's two issues there 's the established the original oems if you like getting up to speed with EVs and also struggling with supplier problems. Um, across both particularly EVs but also on some of the gas cars. And then there's this other factor, which is startups, you know, desperately trying to work out how to build a car. And, you know, the early Teslas were terribly built. You know, the early Model 3 was a bit of a shambles, and that's got a lot, lot better. And I'm sure Lucid and Rivian will get that. I think Rivian at the moment is in a better place than Lucid in terms of the quality. Uh, but on our truck, you know, you really have to slam the doors. Yeah. So if you shut the doors without thinking and you have to open them again and give them a whack – 
you know, which is almost counterintuitive. I'm pretty, you know, genteel with my doors, particularly on classic cars. Hey, my but. truck's the same way, but it's a 1995 Lightning, so I got to slam that goddamn door. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, it's also it's yeah. like you have the kids in the back and then you have to like whack the door in their face. It's not a good look. <laughs> yeah, and it's loud and it's scary. <laughs> I, I, was, I was trying to find the, the soft touch uh, clothes. Uh, there was a company at, at SEMA that had an aftermarket device, but I, I'm not sure if the company's in business anymore and I can't find another company that makes it. But uh, part of my issue is also because the door never seals well for, for me that I went through and redid all of the weather stripping. And I don't mean I just replaced it. I I put two I, – I ended up doing sort of two layers of weather stripping on the door. So it blocks out noise and elements and stuff. So I, I kind of modernized what was going on in the door. Um, when you go and you buy a Lucid, do you work with Lucid to buy the vehicle or are they – unaware of which vehicle Edmunds is going to get. Do you guys do it in partnership or do you do it in secret? Uh, in all honesty, it's a bit of, it's a bit of both. Um, we tend to, we know we tend to place the orders as, as individuals. Um, it generally <clears throat> goes through my name, but then, but then sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll work with them. Um, but we're always, you know, we have access to, to different vehicles as well. So it's not like the only, you know, it's not like you, and also it's not like you can suddenly manufacture one of these in an entirely different way to give us a car. You know, I, I'm conscious that certain vehicles that come out for appraisal, the sort of things that you and I get, Matt, you know, might have, you know, they've probably been around it with a, you know, with a chamois and made sure that, you know, all the bits are, are hanging in the right place and that yeah. sort of thing. But you can't just kind of reinvent, invent, reinvent how you design, build a car because this is the one going to Edmund. So you know, we, we, we tend to get them warts and all. Yeah. I mean, look, I I agree with you. I did a track day uh, a few years back with uh, Lexus, and uh, they had a couple of LFAs there. One of the LFAs that I drove was fast, and one of the LFAs I drove was really fucking fast. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they were just standing there going, yeah, that one's faster than that one. I'm like, why? Like, that one was our... That's our test vehicle. And for whatever reason, like, it, it wouldn't make a difference because they sort of admitted it and they're like, we're running a different tune in that vehicle. But there is a noticeable difference. Now, granted, they may say, hey, we can't get, get the, you know, the MPGs out of the hotly tuned one to make sense for, for a production car, but – you, but it is nice to know that that potential was there because that car was fast. <laughs> that thing was very cool. Uh, I I remember back in the day, the one that – this is going back like 20 years. Bill, you got to take off, I started right? in this industry. I got to go, guys. Oh, cheers, Bill. Sorry, buddy. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, gents. Y'all be well. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Continue. Um, yeah, no, I say like when I go back and it's probably, you know, passage of time and all that. But when, when you go back, when I started my career, I, you may remember that Audi or Volkswagen had this like 1.8 turbo, a five cylinder 1.8 turbo, which was in everything. Skodas in Europe, Audis, Seats, all sorts of stuff. And I think it came in every, every state of tune from about 150 horsepower to like 280 in an Audi S3. And you were always pretty sure on like the press cars that the, here was a Skoda that was supposed to have 150 horsepower, but maybe had the 180 or maybe yeah. the 210. <laughs> suddenly this thing would do like 
zero to 60 in five seconds and you go, ah, yeah. you know, this thing, why, you know, yeah, the math's not working out. It's just the, the weight to horsepower is just not even working out. The math is off. I think the early days was also, I mean, it's way before my time, something called an MG Maestro. And they, this, uh, and they, this was like an early turbo car. And, and it had this, they did this like one-off test with a car magazine. It was like, you know, zero to 65 and a half seconds, which the time was crazy fast. And they ran an entire ad campaign that it was faster than a 911, faster than a Ferrari. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> like one car that then, you know, exploded shortly afterwards. So, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, we, we've kind of like over the years, you sort of, you kind of get wind of this stuff and, you know, I've been party to a few, you know, a few things where you've looked at a car and gone, I'm sure that engine's not in the, you know, the appropriate state of tune or whatever. But I, I think we've all been doing it long enough and have enough experience that you kind of smell a rat fairly quickly. Yeah. Uh, okay. So some of the other vehicles we want to get into is you spent some time with the Genesis GV60, right? Yeah. Yeah, this is great car. This is their SUV, but this is not the three row. The GV80 is is the larger one, which I really do like. Uh, the GV60 is, I don't know, it's kind of Audi Q5 size. Does that sound right? Yeah, I think we're getting ourselves uh, we're getting ourselves confused between our GV60s and our GV70s. Okay. Uh, yeah. Because so, there is because the GV60 is the EV, and then the uh, GV70 right. yes. is I, the I, is the gas car. Because I because I I drove them, <laughs> I drove them both, and I was like, I drove the GV80, and then uh, uh, then I drove the 70, right? I didn't. I not, so I just drove the gas powered versions, and the GV60 is. Is an EV? The GV60 is the EV, so that's the but it's the all posh EV version. or or it's hybrid. It's full EV. Okay, all right. So tell us about it. So that is the sister car to the Hyundai Ionic Five, which is doing you know that that sort of cool <clears throat> sort of like eighties sort of looking thing, which yeah. seems to be doing really well, particularly around here. Um, and then the Kia EV6. So basically took one platform and one basic configuration and, and made three vehicles. The, the Kia EV6, which is kind of a lot more sporty. The Ionic 5, which is kind of a real design statement. And then the, the GV60, which is the Genesis version, which is, you know, it's just everything's a bit, the luxury's just uh, turned up everywhere. And there's some, there's some really cool stuff. We've just done a little piece. We just, somebody tipped us off that there was a secret drift mode. <laughs> that if you like pushed a combination of buttons, it basically turned off the front axle. So we had a bit of fun of that. That the test drive, but it's it's a while since I drove a car that I got and I thought this is really this is just really well done. Attention to details, fantastic. The quality is great. It drives really nicely. The ride quality is uh, the ride quality is superb. There's plenty of plenty of space inside. Trunk's maybe a bit small, but I, I was actually thinking about swapping the Model Three that we have as our family car for one. Um, you know, again, there's a few supply problems, but. You know, in entry-level trim, which has still got loads of kit, they're like 60 grand with seven and a half grand of federal tax credit back. So they're not cheap, of course, but they are, um, they're a really nice thing. And, and how is the ride quality compared to the gas engine car? I mean, the GV70, which is the sort of BMW X3 rival, I think that's our reigning Edmunds top-rated SUV. And that's a really nice thing, too. I mean, Genesis is doing some really good stuff at the moment. Um, I mean, the GV, the GV60, I mean, there's two versions, both of which are, are really quick. 
Um, and it's just it's just comfortable. You know, you get in, you and I get into so much stuff where it's like, ah, this is the sporty version. And, you know, like particularly around L.A., right, yeah. you just feel like you've been beaten up every time. This thing just glides along. It's super quiet. There's a banging horse and hi-fi. It, I just thought it was a cool thing. Super comfortable seats. What is the uh, – <clears throat> Looks a bit curious. Yeah, I mean, I don't I... – I don't mind the look. I think it's okay. I think it looks. I think it looks. I like pretty it. good. Distinct. I mean, I, the grill's like a little big in the front, but the back is always on point. I think what Genesis is doing on the back, the GV80, yeah. GV70, I think it's good. I think they're really on a roll at the moment. You know, it's hard to break through as a luxury brand, but you know, when I think about what they're doing relative to say what Infinity are doing or even Acura, you know, Genesis seems to be the one that's really on the move. A bit like Kia and Hyundai are generally. What kind of range are you getting out of that GV60? Uh, what I are they just claiming? I haven't got the results. Yeah, but over we, we, yeah, we're, uh, over 200. So I think probably like 240-ish, something like that. I haven't got the exact fizz in front of me. But it's kind of, um, it's kind of enough, basically. Do you we, know, it's in, that, it's in that sweet spot of, of where everybody is. Two, 248, they're claiming. Yeah. 248. Okay. Do we know if there's going to be different versions of this is there going to be a long-range version or does that not necessarily fit the model for genesis yeah there's two well there's there's not there's not um there's a high performance version and we think there might be an even higher performance version sometime in the future i think in the future they're probably going to do two they might do a super fast version um although that's far from confirmed uh, and then there might be a single motor version that's cheaper so at the moment they've got one with 314 horsepower and one with 429 and there's about nine grand difference between between the two. And then they might bring in an entry level and they might bring in a, a crazy fast one. But Genesis at the moment doesn't have, like Hyundai has the N, N brand for like Velosters and stuff, but Genesis doesn't have a performance brand at the moment. Yeah. That Although might could change. Be, could be kind of interesting if they do. Uh, but they, you kind of have to do it right. You don't want to do like, here's a performance brand, but we know it's not competitive with anything else that's performance out there right then don't do it like either either make it good and don't just say it's a performance badge and then you know it's got some trim and a you know half inch lower ride height and 14 extra horsepower like either do it or don't do it right i'd rather them just go we can't compete in the performance world so we're going to do a luxury version you know we're going to get you the sixty thousand dollar version but then we're going to get you the hundred thousand dollar version and you're absolutely going to love it it's going to have all sorts of alcantara and great leather and amazing sound system and it, it's just going to feel like you know the most bang for a buck in the luxury market i'd rather them do, do that if they can't compete in the performance world because i think they would do well yeah with, otherwise with it's luxury. just we, yeah yeah it's a bit like what volvo do um you know because otherwise it's just like here's a version where we kill the ride quality yeah that's it like oh we're going to give you the same exact thing but with stiffer springs and a little more sway bar and now it now it rides a little rough it really doesn't perform any different at all it's not really any faster it doesn't sound any different like it's all pretty much the same what sort of timing on the gv60 what what's the availability yeah, that's that's a good question. It's just, I mean, there are a, a handful. Look, I was saying like locally, there doesn't seem to be any inventory, but to me, but there is, you know, there's a few out there. Um, but if you want one, I think it's a case of talking to your talking to your local dealer. Same with, I mean, it's the same with things like the Mustang Mackie. You know, you can't order a 2022. You have got to get a 2023, and that that's not. Last time I looked, a couple of weeks ago, the orders weren't open. The order bank wasn't open, so it's still a tough market. I mean, the biggest thing I think is stay. 
you know, is keep looking ahead. You know, if you know that you're going to change your car in six months, be looking now. My lease is up on the Tesla in March. I can't extend the lease. Can't buy the car because they won't let me. So all I can do is hand it back. So, you know, I've got to plan ahead and make sure that I've got, you know, four wheels come next March. And I'm not just going to be able to go down the local dealer and buy one at that point. Yeah. So that brings up a couple of uh, questions. For well, First of all, it sounds like more and more companies, Ford is the latest to, to get into uh, uh, eliminating the buyout feature on a lease. If you're buying a Ford EV like Mustang Mach-E's, maybe not if you currently have one under lease, but future purchases, uh, there's not going to be a buyout option. And Ford is claiming so they can participate in the life cycle of that battery. Is basically what they're saying is, and maybe I'm getting the actual words incorrect, but they, it, as much as we're saying, oh, it's a value thing, it's a money thing, and they're going, no, 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 we just, as Ford, we want to be involved with the entire life of that battery, you know, uh, technology. They're saying, we, if you're leasing the vehicle, we want to be able to get it back and decide if that battery is resellable and what do we do and whatever. So I'm not saying it's an invalid argument. I'm just not sure if it's the proper argument. Uh, surely you can check on the battery data through over-the-air stuff anyway. You know, it's not like they couldn't monitor the battery health of the vehicle, whoever owns it, at any time. I- not um, just health. I, think, I don't know. I think I mean, they mean recycling and whatever. Like I think they, they're basically saying if Ford ultimately owns this vehicle for the life of the vehicle, then they're involved with the vehicle's usage and then they are involved with the dissolution of this vehicle. But if you take – let's say you lease a Mackie for three years. At the end of three years, it goes back to the dealer. And then the dealer's just going to wholesale it or sell it on the lot, isn't he? Is it like a certified pre-owned uh, at three years old? I mean, maybe at 10 years old, it's a different proposition. But at three years old, which is what we're talking about off a lease, three or four years old, yeah, then they're just going to sell it on, surely. Yeah. I mean, I just Ford is just saying they actually... want to be involved. Just like Tesla is basically saying they want to be involved. They don't want to just uh, well, let, I can, I... let it be a dealer thing. Well, I can look at the data because it's actually on Tesla's website what my vehicle's worth. And the reason they won't sell it to me, I think, is a good part of like 12 grand's worth of positive equity in it. Yeah, that's probably – So because uh, it was the pandemic hit. I was supposed to do 30,000 miles, and my wife was. We'd done 8,000 miles. And, you know, the car's going back. There's, there's, there's like 12 grand. You know, if I bought it, I was able to buy it and sell it, uh, you know, a traditional way, I'd probably make about 10 grand, which, of course, is why I want to buy it and why they won't let me. <laughs> but what it doesn't do is particularly endear me to buy another one. Because if you look at Tesla's lineup, we like our Model 3. It's been great. But the only real option for me is another Model 3, which is basically the same car, but 40% more expensive or 30, 40% more expensive. Right. And then having gone through a fairly bad, you know, this bad consumer experience where you feel a little bit cheated, then it's like, okay, I'm going to look around. And now, three years on from when I bought the Model 3, there's a ton of choice out there. So I'm now looking at Hyundais and Genesis and you know, uh, Ford and, you know, a lot of other stuff like that. So my thought initially was when these car companies were saying you can't buy out the car at the end of the lease, my first thought was, okay, fine, I can live with that. But 
I want my lease payment to be a lot less. I don't, you know, whatever. If somebody's spending 500 a month, I want it to be 300 a month now because I have no option to get this car later. And in your case where you got a lease payment probably before they even decided that you couldn't buy the car out and you have about 10 or 12 grand of equity, if you traded it in for another lease on a Model 3, they should roll in that equity for you into the new vehicle and go, well, you know, here's here's 10 grand, 10 grand cash into the new vehicle for you, right? Or 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 some reasonable amount, right? You know, half of it or or you know, 6 or 7 grand and go, "Hey, you know, the new Model 3 is more expensive, but your car's worth more money. You know, we're going to take 7 grand of your equity in your car, roll it into the new one, you lease the new one and we give you 7,000 off sticker or whatever." Right? Like if you can't yeah. get the car at the end of the lease, then the lease should be less expensive. That's just kind yeah, of my I've, I've got two hopes. I've got two hopes, Matt. No hope and Bob Hope, I think. You know, it's like uh, there's no, there's, there's zero chance of that happening. But we'll see. <laughs> yeah, there's like, zero chance of that happening. But uh, on, on future leases, if I went into a Ford dealer today and I said, I want a 2023 Mach-E, I want to lease it. And they go, oh, well, this is the price. I go, well, then what's the buyout? And they go, no buyout. Then I go, well, then the price is too high. <laughs> right. Uh, that's if it's I guess it same, depends what the market's going to do. Yeah. yeah. If it's the same lease price as the guy who got it a year ago who can buy it out, you know, then I, you know, why am I paying the same thing he is and he gets to buy the car out and maybe have some equity in it? So I've just, I, I don't know. I would, and, and listen, times will change. Maybe in a few years from now, none of these cars will be worth any money and then the dealers are upside down, but who knows? But, uh, it, do, do you know, I mean, I give you an example. We had an i3 before the, the Tesla Model 3, the BMW, which is just finished production. And we absolutely loved that car. That was a, it only had like a 130 mile range, but just as a piece of design, I, you know, I think it's got the best interiors ever made. And when we chopped it in at the end of the lease, the BMW, we did have a buyout clause. And the guy from BMW was like, I'm not even going to tell you what it is because it's absurd. And I think it was, I, I pushed him and I think it was like high 20s or something. And he's like, we can't sell these things. You know, the EV market's moved on. We're just going to wholesale it and get rid of it. Now, have you looked at the price of i3s recently? Like 40 grand or something. It's, it's absolutely insane for a car with 130 miles. And Every, I, I every wholesaler this, that's got 15 of those in their back lot's loving it right now, right? They're going to start putting them all over, bring a trailer. <laughs> I, I was. Uh, we talked about this yesterday. I don't know the answer. I don't know whether anybody out there does. But as technology evolves, can you? It would be cool to be able to like go back. You know, like classic cars. You, you know, obviously do retrofit and stuff. Could you retrofit ba- bigger batteries to an i3? And maybe there's all sorts of architect, you know, electronic architecture reason why you can't do that. But it would be cool to think that you could kind of retrofit batteries that would allow you suddenly to have like a 250 mile range in an i3 in, in the future and then have it as like a classic, a classic EV. Yeah. Because um, otherwise, you know, it's going to be a bit, you know, why would you, why would you have one if it, it won't go very far? So, I mean, um, the, it's, an inter- it's an interesting thought. I, I'm not sure about, you know, can, you know, like a lot of like cell phones and other devices are like, oh, is your battery dead? You know, well, now you can get the knockoff battery that has 20% more life and it makes your, makes your phone 10% bigger, <laughs> you know, but, but it does give you a little bit more battery. I don't know, but it seems like maybe, 
maybe not a battery swap for an i3 in 10 years from now, but maybe a software upgrade, things we've learned in the process that can make that car a little bit more efficient. Maybe it's just 10% more efficient, but maybe there's some things like that that can, you know, you're like, oh, I'm just going to. I'm just going to flash the you know the PCM in this car and and you know I'll get it my 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 10% more efficient. Although the battery's probably lost some of its life anyway, so you might be just getting it back up to factory specs is probably what you're just sort of a restoration uh process, not really an upgrade. Um the other thing you mentioned was your lease is up uh beginning of next year. Uh, I was talking with Adam Krola and his lease is up and he was like, you know, I like the SUV. He's driving, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the Lincoln Aviator plug-in hybrid. And he's like, all the plug-in hybrids, uh, he was like, I want an SUV, something with a decent amount of room in it. It doesn't have to be navigator size, but, you know, something like his, his aviator size, maybe three-row. He goes, but all of the plug-in hybrids are getting like 19 miles to the gallon, and and nobody seems, or sorry, 19 miles of range on 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 the battery itself. And I know it's supposed to be a combination of of gas engine and battery, so the overall range of the vehicle and the miles per gallon is 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 better. But why hasn't this changed? We got brand new Range Rover, which is gorgeous, is out. The plug-in hybrid version, something like 18, 19 miles of EV range. Everything out there just seems to be, for the plug-in hybrids, like 19, 20 miles, 18 miles, you know, of range. Uh, the the Porsche Cayenne, you know, uh, hybrid is, is in the same boat. Why why is why is this 19 20 mile range sort of become the magic number? Why couldn't it be 50? Well, I think the Range Rover actually the new one is actually an interesting example. I think that's going to go further. Um I forget off the top of my head, but I think it's somewhere like 60 70 miles potentially. Um and then it actually becomes very usable. You know, you're running around the city all the time, you run around in in EV mode, then you know, if you're going away on the weekend or towing or something, then you know, that makes a I'm kind of with you. I think it's just a cost it's a cost and packaging thing that if you think about it with a plug-in hybrid, you've got to have both the engine, the batteries, and the electric motor, and the charger, and all the paraphernalia that goes with it. So you've got to you've got to house that somewhere. So if you're going to make the battery pack bigger, you've got to find more space. Yeah, you've got to find more space for it. And B, then you're towing away around more weight, more cost. So it's always this sort of balancing act. So in something as big and expensive as a Range Rover, you can probably afford both fiscally and, and packaging-wise, to have more batteries, more space. But in like a, you know, like a Toyota, you know, like a RAV4 or something, you just don't have the room and you don't want, you don't want to add another, you know, 10 grand to the, to the, to the MSRP purely in terms of battery costs. So, yeah, it, the, the problem is with them, you know, they are a compromise in that you've got both power systems. When are we going to get... Almost by definition. When are we going to get... A nice luxury EV SUV. Now we've got a handful of, I don't want to say entry level market ones, but you know, you, you mentioned like sort of Rav four ish size, CRV size of vehicles. We're getting hybrids and EVs and that. But when do we get you know a a good size you know a Ford Explorer, Navigator, you know BMW X five size EV? So, I mean, obviously, we talked about the Rivian at the beginning of the show. That's, you know, yeah, that's, that's, that's here closest, and now right? if you can get one. Although, 
Although, let's face it, you order one now, it's still going to be probably a year or more. Um, they are they are coming. The cavalry is coming. There, there's a new Mercedes. Mercedes has got this weird naming policy. Instead of having like different names for the SUVs, they seem to be going with the same name. So you've got an EQS SUV. And there's EV, an EQB. The, there's like a smaller so EV. The, the EQB is the GLB, which is the gas car. There's basically now an electric version of that, but that's small. Then there's going to be an EQE, which is e, they're basically the GLE sized. Okay. Uh, that will be an EV. And then there will be a GLS, effectively, an EQS, which will be an, a large electric um, SUV. So kind of, you know, that'll be a that'll be a three-row. So, you know, if Adam's coming out of a um, an aviator hybrid, then that would probably – either the EQE or the EQS SUVs uh, would probably be the, way, be the way forwards. And that's you still know, about be a, a rate, There'll be a one – uh in the u.s yeah probably about a year we're going to drive it we're going to drive fairly imminently maybe a bit less actually um but yeah still in the in that certainly in the next few uh, still a, a little way away um beyond that um i mean everybody's gonna hit the market sooner or later there's things like an ev chevy blades that come out there's there's um yeah i mean there's a there's a there's a few things in the offering but nothing of that scale hmm. yeah okay uh, before we wrap up, let's shift gears a little bit because I think you got to spend some time in the BRZ. I, I did. We actually have one of those on our, our long-term test fleet. And uh, uh, that that's just uh, – I drove it in the, the office this morning and, you know, we talked about this before. It's got like 220 mm-hmm. horsepower or something, little manual gearbox. Honestly, I love that car. Yeah. It doesn't sell. People don't buy it because it's not super practical. And if you want a sports car, people tend to go up market and get something luxury. But even just running around LA, like every journey is a bit, a bit of fun. You know, the engine sounds great. It's naturally aspirated. It's got a bit more torque now than the old version. The gearbox is terrific. The steering's terrific. It's really tight and compact. And I just think it's a really, really great car. How do you fit in it? You fit pretty, pretty well in oh, it? Oh, fine. I mean, it's a small car. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I'm 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 six four and I'm fine. I mean, anybody sat behind me because there are a couple of token rear seats, um, but you know it might get you home from the pub. But yeah, I mean, it's the Toyota. Uh, we prefer the Subaru version, the BRZ, rather than the uh, G86. But it's uh, GD86. Oh no, the GD86 is this. Yeah, no, GD86, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, we prefer we prefer the the BRZ. But yeah, it's just a cool thing and it's affordable. And if you want to have something fun and you can go and track, you know. Put it on a track day without, you know, needing a whole new set of brakes and four new tires. It's a cool thing. We've actually got it partly for driver training because we do a bunch of driver training for our test team and, you know, the rest of the guys and uh, guys and girls should say. And um, yeah, that's why we uh, that's why we got it. It's a that's cool actually thing. a great car for that. I, I think that it's a great car for for like the driver training because it's got all the characteristics of a sports car. It does perform well for what it is. Fairly inexpensive and not overly powerful like you could focus on driver skills before you you need to f- step up and focus on how to handle power like i think that's a good i think it's a good yeah and it's, re- it's it's rear wheel drive you can turn all the stability control off so as long as you haven't got like a super grippy surface you know and you can actually feel what the car's doing and as you say without having to do you know insane speeds and everything else just because that's what the car is is capable of so you, you, I, I think they're great and, you know, particularly on the road or on like the canyon roads and things like that, you know, mm-hmm. the ability to have fun in it, 
I went out on Angeles Crest near LA with a couple of friends the other week and I took my classic car, my, I have a 993, 911 and they were in a G, one of my friends was in a GT3 and another one had a, had a 911 and they're both doing okay in life. And, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. I just thought the 993 was so nice because, you know, I wasn't like pushing it like crazy, but it hasn't got too much power. And you're just like, you know, it sounds fantastic and yeah. it was such a great experience. And don't get me wrong, I love GT3s as well, but on the road, you know, they've got so much tire, so much grip so much ability that really you almost got to go to a track if you're really going to explore them. Yeah. And the 993 is fun. It's just a good classic sports car. Hang out of that one for a it's little fabulous. while. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure your your daughter's going to start eyeballing that thing going, hey, this thing's kind of cool. <laughs> I've, got 30, I've got 13 years to go yet before she even gets a sniff of the car key. So, and even then. Uh, yeah, well, she's going to start eyeballing that thing way before 13 years. It's just a matter of when she's allowed to actually drive it. <clears throat> What else is going on at Edmonds? What do we got to look forward to? You've always got some great videos and stuff out there. I can't believe you guys put 20,000 miles on your GT500, by the way. It seems like just yesterday you got it. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a terrible probably a terrible thing to do from an investment perspective. But yeah, we, we loved it. I hadn't driven it for a while. I was at the test track on Monday and uh, and I was showing somebody around the test tracks. I thought it was a fun car to use. And you forget just like what a crazy beast that thing is. It, it's been great. You know, it's done... We, we love it to bits. And it's been 20,000 fairly hard miles. I was just going to say, it's like the most well-documented beat-up GT500. I mean, I know you guys take good care of it, but that's 20,000 pretty rough miles on that, on that car. I mean, there's, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to need some attention <laughs> at some point. Uh, don't, don't kill my residuals. I'm about to, I might be about to sell it. I think, I, I think any, any, any potential owner will find that it's actually a magnificent car in perfect condition. Never, never been tracked. <laughs> it is the best GT500 you could buy. It is going to be the... Uh, the yeah, just, just nice, nicely running over 20,000 miles, yeah. you know, just, in its, just in its sweet spot. So. It, it is the only GT500 where it definitely had all of the bugs worked out. This is the car to get. If you see an orange GT500 pop up for sale... Definitely pay over whatever they're asking. <laughs> well, not only that, it's a famous car. It's a, as, yeah, it's as a, driven by the elite Edmunds crew. <laughs> yeah, they are elite. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, what else? What else is on the docket for you guys at at Edmunds? I mean, it's, it's, it's we're getting a lot of car news, but not a lot of cars. So, how does that how does that affect you guys? <laughs> it, it, it's an interesting conundrum, and it's for both us and the industry that you know you create all this noise and buzz around cars that sometimes you can't even buy, and you know that's something that we do do wrestle with at times. No, I mean it's an exciting time. We just uh, we just actually I, I did the video myself that we just launched the, the Honda CRV uh, that went live yesterday. Uh, we're having a look at the Type R Civic uh, Honda Civic Type R next week. There's a couple of and there's other a Raptor that I can't R coming out too. About. Uh, there is indeed. Uh, we, you, as you might imagine, all over, all over that. Um, so yeah, there's a couple of stuff. I'm trying to remember where all the embargoes, where all the top, what, what's secret and what's not, as we speak. But uh, try not to break any of those. So yeah, there's a there's a whole bunch of stuff uh, right now. It's a really busy time for us. Really exciting time. You know, both a mix of some of the you know more more fun and enthusiast stuff, and you know a lot of the kind of you know proper what you might call proper family cars and the CRV. Uh, well, the CRV exactly is very that. important. It's, uh, you know, I, I mean, it's huge. It is the, as I say in the video, it is the fifth. I think it's, is it the third or the fifth? I wrote the script. I can't even remember. It's, I think it's the third or the fifth biggest selling vehicle in the world. Yeah. Literally. 
I think the, uh, the uh, just behind Toyota, I think it's the third. I think it's the third biggest selling vehicle in the world, and they're shifting almost a million units a year. So if I had a guess, uh, it would be thing. like Honda, uh, Ford F-150, Toyota RAV4, then Honda CRV. No, I mean, F-150 is only big in America, remember. So we're talking global here. So I think it's RAV4, is it Corolla, Camry? Uh, and then, uh, and then, and then CRV. CRV. And I think F one fifty is in the top ten, but it's obviously big in America, but not not you know obviously not sold in Europe and yeah, Asia and that sort of thing. Do you guys have a video out already on the CRV, the new CRV? Uh, we do, we do. I could commend it to you. I uh, just just because um, the CRV is an important vehicle, right? It's it's not the sexiest thing out there, but you know when I was looking around. Uh, for a car for my mom, we looked at Toyota RAV4, RAV4 Hybrid, CRV, and now there's new CRV Hybrid. This is, you know, this is kind of their F150, right? Where you go, this is something that if Honda is going to invest in, this is the one they should invest in the most because it is, it needs to do well for them, right? They sell so many that it needs to be good. I hope it's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and what it is, I think you know, you're right. It, it's if I look at like the site traffic on on Edmunds, I think this is the typically the first or the second most researched vehicle because it is just that heartland American family SUV, and and understandably so. And we've always not only is it sold well, we've also you know it continues to be our sort of top ranked family SUV, even in even the old model in its death rows because it doesn't really do anything wrong. And I think the new one. Is a very sensible evolution. You know, the engines are uh, the the hybrids updated, but the the one point five turbo is the same. And you know, it is just a very sensible evolution of the CRV. There's nothing that you look at and go, "Wow, that's cool," or "That's really interesting," or "That's really going to like move the game on." But also, nothing that you look at and go, "Why they Why have they done that?" Or the, the time. I mean, Honda and Toyota, particularly Honda, does this sort of gentle evolution of everything. And they kind of just keep iterating it till till they get it right. The only thing sometimes that catches them out, and I think this might be true of EVs at the moment, is when people really move the bar. And I remember a few years ago they screwed up the Civic because they kind of took a view, you know, they compared it to vehicles in that place in time. And then when somebody else moves the goalpost, they get caught out. But from what I've seen of the CRV, and you know, I sat in it and played with it, but I haven't driven it yet. I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be there or thereabouts for sure. Yeah, not the most exciting thing ever, but but it's uh, just really well executed. Yeah, just a, a just a, a good safe buy. It's just like a car that you're going to enjoy and you're going to be comfortable with, and it's going to be reliable. And it's it's there's a reason why they sell so many of them. Exactly. exactly. Well, I'm I mean, I'm going to I'm definitely curious in checking out that video because it is such a mainstream vehicle, and to be able to compare those things with like a Rav Four. And I, I've always been a fan of of the Mazda. You know, I always thought the Mazda SUV. Uh, it always, I don't know how it does well in in sales. It might be the only vehicle that Mazda is selling that keeps Mazda on the map. But they've they've done a pretty good job with 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 their SUV. Yeah, the CX five. But also, we've just driven um, the the CX fifty. Which is the? It's sort of like a, they're saying it's not a replacement to the CX five, but it's kind of like a newer version, uh, slightly bigger of the, of the CX five. That's that's really good as well. Uh, Are they going to keep um, the so CX five C- and the CX fifty? I, I think for for now, and they they're kind of doing a little bit like what Honda did with the Passport, uh, almost saying, okay, this is a this is a slightly different take. It's supposed to be a bit more kind of like 
you know, sort of adventure vehicle and stuff. But the reality is it's a family SUV. So when the CRV comes out, I think the biggest test is going to be, you know, CX-50 against CRV. And Mazda, Mazda's just doing such a great job with things like quality and, you know, the touchy-feely stuff and the style bit. And, yeah, you might pay a little bit more, but it, it feels sort of more of a kind of premium product than, than the mainstream now. And, and I think they've done a terrific job. Yeah, okay. All right, well, let's uh... – I guess let's go ahead and wrap things up. We appreciate it every time you're on, Alistair. Uh, great updates. Uh, we're going to check in with you again. Do you, do you think we've got some stuff to look forward to toward the second half of this year? Do we think like LA Auto Show is going to be uh, a, an event worth going to? Like, what, what's your feeling on it? On it now? Are we done with auto shows? I think so. Or, or are we going to go? Uh, <laughs> well, you're. Uh, gonna go. <laughs> I think we're. Go- I, I'm going to. I'm going to go. That's not, that's not like, that's not a mutually exclusive question. I'm going to go, but are we done with them? I don't know. I mean, New York was, New York was quite, I mean, you've got Detroit first in September. Okay. Um, you know, and there's a big effort around Detroit to try and reimagine it as being not in the freezing waste of January, but in, in September and a bit more sort of experiential. Let's see how that goes. Uh, you know, I think the big three up there are going to have to, you know, at least pay lip service to that. Um, LA, I think, potentially i think there could be some interesting stuff at la um you know it's a good time of year it's the end of the year it's la it's a place people want to come to so uh, yeah i hope so i still enjoy all those shows i still enjoy the buzz of them and you know I, I spoke to some people in new york who said actually from a consumer perspective the ability to come in and you know see the cars and everything else in a no pressure environment was is still really beneficial the challenge is you know if if people haven't got cars to sell but i think at the end of the year you're going to start to see inventory levels creep up more vehicles available so i i hope so i you know i hope detroit works i hope new york works and yeah you know i, I remain a fan of auto shows i still think of them as a kid you could go there it was exciting you know everything was shiny and new and it's a great kind of barometer of you know what a crazy world the automotive you know made it. and if everything goes digital it's a bit like working from home right every you don't want a completely digital world where everybody just sits in front of a screen looking at instagram you know it's actually quite nice to go and see real people and maybe i'm old see real people and prod a few dashboards and stuff you know yeah and i like to see the vehicles in person you kind of see the size of them and you get to see the the angles and the shapes and what works and what doesn't and because everything can be sort of photographed in a good way but uh it seemed like these auto shows if you remember years ago it's like everybody was rolling out with some cool stuff and a concept car like every booth had this is the future of us and uh, and then the car companies were like, that's not super cost effective for us. So if we're doing a concept car, it's going to be like 90% close to production, you know, like the new Z. And now that the, the car companies can't sell any cars or make any cars, I think there's going to be a lot of concept cars. I think there's going to be a lot of like, this is going to be the future of our brand. And like, oh, where's the new cars? We're like, well, we don't have any, so we can't make any. I mean – I, I don't know how many shows we can go and we can stare at an F one fifty lightning on the showroom, you know, on, on a on a show floor, but not in a in a dealership yet, because that thing's popped up everywhere from LA Auto Show last year to Barrett Jackson to all over the place. I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I get they're delivering some, but I haven't seen one yet. I haven't seen mine. <laughs> yeah, so maybe maybe well, more I, maybe more concept cars at, at Detroit and LA this year. For sure. Let's hope so. It's exciting. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Go to Edmunds.com. If, uh, if you're buying a car, if you're selling your car, or doing all that stuff, researching a car, check them out. 
Uh, and you can find uh, Alistair. He's uh, he's uh, Alistair Weaver on Twitter. Uh, Weaver, is, are you still Weaver on cars? No, you're Alistair Weaver. What's your Instagram? No, I'm I, I, Instagram's Weaver on cars. Weaver on cars. Yeah, you'd be mad not to follow. It's that epic stuff. Yeah. <laughs> follow him on Twitter because he's got some fans. <laughs> people love the way he dresses. People love what he says. People love to <laughs> talk shit. Follow up. Follow Alistair on, on on social media. You'll be, you'll enjoy yourself. All right. Uh, thanks, buddy. We'll see you soon. Until next time, keep the air and the spare and the bag and the wheel. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com. Do you own? Do you rent your home? Sure you do. And it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling your policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you have so much to do already around your home. Why not make it easy? Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see just how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. All this month, stream the funniest films for free on Pluto TV. Watch comedy classics like Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy, and Mean Girls. Or drop in for a Tyler Perry marathon with a Medea family funeral and Medea's witness protection. Pluto TV also has hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and TV shows like Get Shorty, Be Cool, Key and Peel, Comedy and Color, and more. And no contracts, no subscriptions, no fees, no joke. So download the Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device and start laughing today. Pluto TV, drop in, watch free.